the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Aubrey's birthday, so we are celebrating all day today. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Monday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Aubrey, you've been waiting. It's your birthday. Woohoo! Like, let's just sit in this. Let's just sit in this important day. How for are everyone. we today? It's, uh, it's what, 48 today, 49? Ryan, don't age me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin on Sunday, Kevin's birthday was Sunday, so our birthdays are a day apart. We both turned 45. And he, he said something like, I've hit the midlife point or the halfway point, so everyone just better keep an eye on me, because I don't know how it's going to go from here. So. Twitchy said, but you're well past the midpoint. <laughs> yeah, no. Tell us about your birthday weekend, because yeah. you built this up so much. Well, it started with a girl's trip to Dallas. Oh, that's right. Yep. So I went out of town. I went out of town for a couple of days this weekend, and that was really, really fun with some friends from grad school who lived down there. And um, we had a Blast went to the we went to Waco to the famous silos Joanne and Chip Gaines yes. place that was pretty cool I believe the 30th anniversary of the uh, Waco cult what it was the Branch Davidians all that death and stuff yeah I think it's this week David Koresh yeah is that this week I believe oh, so I wish so I would have celebrated that while I was there <laughs> missed that man um, and then got home just in time for Kevin's birthday and we we did a combo celebration yesterday so as a family we went to see the new Creed movie which was really good really fun. And then Kevin and I went out to, well, we came back, opened presents, and Kevin and I went out to great dinner last night at Morton's Steakhouse. Let's, okay, okay, just a moment of honesty. You and your husband, very interestingly, are a day apart. Now, my wife and I are only 11 days apart, uh, so I kind of get how this goes. But a day apart, you're actually celebrating on the same day. We are. We're always, we kind of always celebrate on the same day. Can you, in all honesty, say it's a 50-50 proposition? On that day, on that weekend, was Kevin celebrated as much as Aubrey, or or, so or Kevin, does your birthday just like the eclipse? Yeah, come you, on over. I can see how, with my personality, you would think that, but it, I I love celebrating him on his birthday. So yesterday was full blown Kevin. Like I still okay. don't have any presents. I'm hoping there are presents when I get home later tonight. I so. feel badly for Kevin, the same way I feel badly for myself having <laughs> having a. A birthday close to your spouse, but them being second, yeah, it's a, it's a tough follow. It, that would be a tough follow because your your spouse, your wife, in this these yes. particular situations, yes. really know how to celebrate you, and you got to be ready for it. I got like eleven days buffer. So you at least I. have time to kind of evaluate. Okay, here's what she spent. Yeah, like here's she the dropped kind the of... ball, so I'm going to drop the ball right. this time. <laughs> uh, did you know though? My daughter, what my youngest daughter, is in between us. Oh, yeah, that's so right. You guys are like so many May birthdays. I'm May 4th, 
Emily is May 12th. Carrie is May 15th. Wow. So we're right in wow. a row there. So really, Emily's birthday trumps all of them. Yep. Yep. So of course. anyway, okay. Of have, course. have you been fulfilled today? What What has your day been like? No, but I did get to take myself no? to- Wait, you just started with a no. Well, I know, because I haven't opened any <laughs> presents yet. I feel like when presents have arrived, then I'm happy. I did take myself to Starbucks- earlier today yes. so that was very enjoyable i saw you there we pulled in at the same time we and went pull. to two different yeah places brian went to panera and I i'm on part of the panera sip club so i get a free drink and so we, <laughs> you were literally behind me at the stoplight yeah. and we went two different that directions. was very yes. entertaining brian was this is hard to explain to the listeners but brian was in front of me in his car and he rolled down his window and he's like pointing <laughs> to the left pointing pointing i'm like is he showing me the hospital like what does he point and that was the signal that he was going to panera my worry was that you were then going to beat me to the studio <laughs> you can't have me I show up you before you to go get a drink as well which you obliged yes, yes you did yeah so i went and got a drink and then hopefully tonight i'll go home after the show i won't have to make dinner okay. and they'll be present if you were not 45 years old yeah let's pretend you were 11 years old Ooh, okay yeah and uh so i don't know how to do this because we're like taking your mindset now but mm-hmm. putting it in an 11 year old mm-hmm. lifestyle what would yeah. you do for a birthday party you know what i would do a roller skating party i was just nice. i saw someone roller skating like a little probably an 11 year old girl down the street when i was in texas over the weekend and i was like I miss roller skating parties. You go to the rink, everyone, the girls, put on a cute little outfit. You get roller skates on. You s- scroll to some Janet Jackson, some, sure. uh, what else? Some Tina Turner. It's always like the YMCA. Song. Yeah, you yeah. You do, yep, yep. The Beatles shows up a little twist and shout. I think a roller skating party would be a blast. Do you know over Christmas break when Madeline was home on New Year's Eve, our the Fromm family went roller skating. Of course she did. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Where did Lombard, you go? The Lombard Roller Rink. There's oh, one that still exists. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, <laughs> how what, my, how'd it go? It was a ton of fun. <laughs> we were by far the oldest people there, and uh, there was there were muscles sore on my body, uh, which you had didn't not even been know sore existed. In a while. <laughs> what kind of birthday would eleven year old Brian do? Going to the baseball? Th- yes, yeah. I think that's what I would do because yeah. in May you could go. If I was still living in New York, New Jersey, where I grew up, I'd, I would get a couple tickets to City Field and go see the Mets. Yeah, and uh, and then I would want to come back and probably do a sleepover. So you know, you got a oh, couple yeah. friends. You go to the ball game. Yeah, and then you come home and maybe you got pizza or whatever, and yeah. they give me my gifts and. Then you have a sleepover party. One of my earliest, so not earliest, but I have a memory of a birthday party growing up of my own. Ooh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. And uh, we had a sleepover. You want to know what movie we watched in the sleepover? <laughs> uh, Dirty Dancing. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, no. <laughs> That's an awesome movie. I loved that movie growing up. And I have this vivid up. memory of, of, like, I was probably, you know, anywhere from 9 to 12. Who knows where I was Do in you there. know this is a really embarrassing, <laughs> but I actually think 11-year-old Aubrey, maybe Maybe it was nine or ten year old Aubrey dressed up as Pee Wee Herman for Halloween one year. <laughs> I wore a gray suit with a red electric, you know, light up bow tie. Pre scandal or post scandal? Slicked my hair back. Did you fool people? Hey, that's, did the Pee Wee Herman dance? Why did my parents let me do that? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Well, Aubrey, I would like to do something here for your birthday. Oh, you I, would? I think there's somebody who wanted to say happy birthday to you. All right, who is Am I who's here? Our, who's our mystery what? caller? Hey, it's Catherine McNeil. <laughs> Happy birthday, Aubrey. <laughs> <laughs> Woo-hoo! Oh, thanks, Catherine. This is 
unexpected surprise. Hey, when you have a radio show on your birthday, you get unexpected surprises. Wow, from, oh, our, yeah. from our guest co-host, Catherine McNeil. I mean, I could just call you at home, but I figured I'd call you here. We've probably talked many times today, actually. <laughs> but not publicly. Not but not publicly. in front of other people. <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, what fun. Thank you, Catherine. Catherine, thank you. Yes, Thanks for course. calling in. Yeah, love to pop in anytime. There you go. There <laughs> that you was go. a fun surprise. All I right. didn't expect that. Thank well, you for that. It might not be our last Wait, one. Wait, no. It may not be our last one. I think we've got another mystery caller. <laughs> no, you don't. Mystery caller, are you there? Yes, I'm oh. here. Is, is, this, is this the birthday girl common good radio It show? is. It is. This Please is identify hilarious. yourself. Please. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. That's my husband, Kevin, in case people are wondering the random man calling. More known as the one who has lost more than he has won of our trivia contest. But, Kevin, <laughs> publicly, oh, I'm publicly just wish... To wish the most beautiful woman in the world happy birthday. Oh, thanks, babe. How fun. Aren't you cute? And, Kevin, let me wish you a happy birthday from yesterday. There you go. You oh. guys get to celebrate. We'll celebrate you as well today. Oh, thank you so much. Yep. <laughs> I'm old news, though. There you That's go. That's true. His, birthday was, his birthday's done now. There you go. It is over. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Uh, I look forward to the next beatdown I give you on one of our trivia contests. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you'd let me sing the whole happy birthday song, but I can take it in. We got enough of it. <laughs> All right. See ya. That's right, Aubrey. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. What a fun little surprise. There you go. Loved it. There's the only two people we know who could call it. So <laughs> don't expect much more. Well, we're glad that you're with us today. Coming up next, we are joined by friend of the show, Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor, the notorious KSP. We're going to talk with her about the evangelical imagination, a conversation around stories, images, and metaphors. We'll do that when we come back. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we are thrilled today to be joined by someone we consider a friend of the mm-hmm. show, Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor. She's a professor, author, and monthly columnist for Religion News Service. Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's great to be back with you guys. Please just call me Karen. (laughs) We will call you Karen. We'll call you Karen. Thanks for that. Okay, so Karen, you actually have a new book coming out in the summer. It's available for pre-order now called The Evangelical Imagination, How Stories, Images, and Metaphors Created a Culture in Crisis. Unpack that for us because that is the most intriguing (laughs) subtitle of all time. Oh, yeah, it's it's a lot. And so... um, yeah, I'm very excited about this book. I've been working on it for a couple of years. It's been like five years since I've had like my own book come out because I've been editing a series. So mm, wow. thanks for having me on to talk about mm-hmm. it because I'm excited. Um, so it, it's not, the book is not just about like C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, <laughs> like that kind of imagination, <laughs> although they're, they're mentioned. Um, it's really, um, I'm introducing to a general audience, uh, sort of an academic concept called the social imaginary. Um, anyone who's heard of Charles Taylor, who's mm-hmm. been kind of popular lately, uh, might remember this term. It's really about kind of the a precognitive, subconscious way that 
that stories and images and metaphors work on our brains. It's basically what commercial advertising does, right? Like they know that if that tune gets stuck in our head or this image or this idea, we don't even have to be thinking about it and we want it. Um, And so all cultures and communities have various social imaginaries and that includes evangelicals. And so I just kind of try to identify what I see as the main driving images and metaphors um, that have been part of evangelicalism for its whole 300-year history. That's, that's all. That's <laughs> that tiny little task. That's a, that's a small yeah. one. Yeah. So, uh, and it, but but I, I do it, I hope, in a fun, in a fun and an engaging I'm sure. way. I'm sure you I'm do. I'm sure. Karen, what would be the exa- What would be an yeah, example of one? Yeah, I was just wondering that. Yeah, so one of the one of the central examples in an early chapter is devoted to the idea of the testimony. Mm. Um, most of us who are evangelicals grew up with the idea of giving our testimony, yes. hearing testimonies, and that's we don't necessarily realize how that's a mark of evangelicalism and not necessarily a mark of, you know, other denominations or traditions. I mean, they can be there, but for us, it's really central. So I have a whole chapter devoted to the history of the testimony um, and what's, huh. what's good about that. And also what happens when we put so much emphasis on the testimony that people get tempted to exaggerate or make it more dramatic, right? Or feel like if they don't have a traumatic testimony, then it's not valid. Yeah. Wow. Um, Okay. This got, I mean, I'm just going to ask you basically for more examples, but I'm very curious about images. And here's why, because I feel like evangelical Mm -hmm. people go, no, we don't use images you know what i mean so, so. i have a whole chapter on that <laughs> so what so, are some of the images that have influenced us without even we don't even realize it well one image that i focus on in particular and you know i hope if, if you're readers that can't picture this if you just have to google it and you'll know it, it it's walter Salman's head of christ which mm. is that picture from the middle of the 20th century that painting of jesus his he looks like it looks like a yearbook picture and his <laughs> hair is like brown and flowing mm. back and he's got chiseled features and he yes. looks nothing like what jesus probably really looked like yes um, but we have this image in our minds of this handsome white jesus with yes. flowing hair and sharp cheekbones um looking into you know surrounded by a halo of light yes and if that's nothing like what Jesus looks like, mm. does that matter? I think it does matter. Yeah. And so I kind of unpack why did that, how did the history of that picture and why did it come when it did and why was it popular and how does it distort perhaps our understanding of Jesus? And even the cover of my book, uh, which is like crazy and wild, um, and people have asked me, like, is it supposed to be kind of ugly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah. there's a lot of irony in that. In wow. Um, so those images that we surround ourselves, even of G- Jesus, um, can per- change the way we, we think about him and think about Christianity. Yeah. And all of the art that we surround ourselves with does that. Mm. Karen, uh, thinking of some more examples, are there any that are just overtly negative? Like this has just distorted the view of, of evangelicalism and of Christianity. That is a Brian. That is such a good question. You guys are my first interview on this book, and you're doing such a good job. Oh, thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs> so, in every um, example that I give, each chapter is a different example. 
they're all pretty much um, it's like there's a positive and a negative side. Okay. But the one, the one that is exactly what Brian just asked, entirely negative, is the chapter on empire. Mm. Um, so we, you know, because evangelicalism developed and grew to prominence in the in the middle of the British Empire, and that that came across that idea, that mindset of um, of imperialism was brought over to America and, 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 you know, we inherited it and it mm. very much tied into the growth of the evangelical movement. And we do like our empires, not just the ones, the geographical ones, but we yeah. like the evangelical industrial complex yeah. and the publishing empires and the church empires. Yep. So yeah, that's probably a negative oh, one. That's, that is a good one, Karen. Okay. So I imagine there was a lot of why behind this book, not just, this will be interesting to research, although I'm sure that's part of it, but also <laughs> you saw something in Christian culture mm-hmm. and you were like, okay, we got to get to the bottom of this. Mm-hmm. What are you hoping readers yeah. get from the book? Well, the genesis of this book was um, having spent years teaching literature, and in particular, I would often teach Victorian literature, which is, you know, the Victorian age really, you know, was developed through the through the influence of evangelicalism. A lot of people don't know that. And so um, I, I talk about that a little bit in the beginning and, and explain how in teaching Victorian literature to my college students, we would so many times have this light bulb go on where we said, oh, this is what evangelicals say. This is what I've been taught. And it's not biblical. It's mm-hmm. just Victorian. And so that was kind of the beginning because so many Christians who are in these evangelical schools where I've been teaching for so long, they often, and, and not just the students, but the adults, we have confused biblical Christianity with Victorianism. Wow. Um, and yeah. And so we need to separate those out because that's what's brought us into the crisis. <laughs> wow. That's Karen. a big goal. Uh, Karen, uh, speak to the person out there who Let's be nice. They're not a reader. They don't tend to read (laughs) the books that you talk about or this and that. This book seems like it would still be unbelievably helpful Mm -hmm. for people. So what is the audience that you're really hoping for with this book? Oh, thanks for asking that. Because I, although, you know, my area is literature and I do talk about a lot of literature in this book, I also talk about like the Dr. Pepper commercial and Ebenezer Scrooge. And um, I have, uh, I think like 18 full color plates with illustrations and paintings and art that, oh, wow. that, um, that show what I'm talking about. And so I am a teacher. And so I always assume that anyone who's reading anything that I've written or is in my classroom doesn't know what I'm talking about. And mm. I'm going to teach them and hopefully, um, you know, hopefully in a way that is that is interesting and engaging. And so I don't, you know, it, it's a it's a book that's for thoughtful readers, um, but um, it's you don't have to know anything going into it. I, I hope that I explain everything and um, take people along for the journey. Oh, it looks fantastic. Karen, where can our listeners go ahead and pre-order a copy of your new book, The Evangelical Imagination, How Stories, Images and Metaphors Created a Culture in Crisis? Um, well, if you go to my website, KarenSwallowPrior.com, it has links to all of, you know, whatever bookseller you is your favorite, you can choose. So it's at anywhere you buy books, you can go to that website and you can pre-order it. All right. It sounds fantastic. Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor is a professor, author, and monthly columnist of Religion News Service. We've been talking to her about the evangelical imagination, a new book she has coming out this summer. Be sure to pre-order it. 
today. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we are thrilled to be joined by author Natalie Runyon. She's the author of a forthcoming book called Raised to Stay, Persevering in Ministry When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away. That's actually something Brian and I talk about a lot on the show. We're both pastors. It comes out July 4th. It's available for pre-order now. And Natalie is a great follow on Instagram, talking a lot about this concept of raised to stay. So Natalie, thanks so much for being here with us on The Common Good today. Oh, you guys, thanks for having me. It's so good to be with you all. Okay, so Natalie, give us the just kind of big picture. What does stay in raised to stay mean? What are you even writing about, posting about that kind of thing? Well, I always joke that if raised to abide looked good on a t-shirt, I would have gone with raised to abide because Mm -hmm. what I'm really telling us is John 15. It's we're going to abide in Christ. He's going to produce good fruit in us and through us by remaining, that word remain, remaining in Him, even when people disappoint us, when organizations fail us, that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm. And so we really are raised to abide in Christ. We are raised to remain on that vine. And though storms come, though hard things come, when we remain in Him, He remains in us. And that is the, I think, secret sauce to longevity in the church. Mm. Uh, and Natalie, what causes do you, what do you think causes people not to stay? What, what causes them not only to leave the church, but to leave the faith altogether? Well, it's like Paul says in Corinthians, like he's been betrayed by brothers, let down by his friends, like church hurt and betrayal by the very house that's supposed to protect us is the ultimate betrayal. And I think when we're disappointed by people who we were once in relationship with, we expect that in the world, but we have such higher expectations as we should for the church. Mm. And I believe it's just really hard to just jump back in after you've been hurt or wounded by a friend. Mm. I, you know, Natalie, thinking about that, there's, you know, you there's a whole, I don't want to call it an industry, but there's a whole population of people that are not raised to stay, I guess. Like, you're because you're right, there are a million reasons to walk away, and they are walking away. You're saying something different. Yeah. How do you, like, honor the hurt and the pain, but then also say, but you got, you need to stay here. Like, talk to us about that tension you're walking. It's so much tension because I know when I was hurt by the church, the last thing that I wanted to be around was people who were defending the church. Yeah. And so I believe as the church, like our job is to sit in people with hard spaces and be really good listeners. Mm. And just like we don't rush prodigals home, we don't rush wounded home. We sit with them in that pain and we say, look, we know the healer. And ultimately, you know the healer, Mm. but just like Jesus challenges us in Scripture, do you want to be healed? That's the ultimate question. And so we can't necessarily dictate how long it takes someone to heal. All we can do is be available to be an open ear and really believe them when they say they've been hurt or abused and walk them through the whole process, not just half of it, Mm. but be with them in relationship as they're talking through what has happened to them. Mm. Yeah. And Natalie, what about the church? Is there time to not stay in a church? Is there time? And then what would your um, advice be to somebody who maybe should leave a church? Is it to never find another church or how do you move on from that? It's the most 
um, morning thing to have to leave a church. Yeah. Nobody wants to have to leave one, but I am telling you, my family's had to run away in the middle of the night to get out of unhealthy places. Mm. Um, I've had to, as someone in leadership, God does not ask us to stay anywhere where we are being abused, hurt, um, overlooked, where we are being overused. The Lord is not asking us to sit in spaces where we are being abused. We're not going to get an award in heaven mm. for holding out and sitting in something that he never asked us to stay in. Mm. And so a lot of times it takes discernment, wise counsel, going through HR policies if they're there. But yeah. you know in your gut, I'm convinced as believers that we know when we are operating under a leadership that is toxic and it's only by the grace of God and just really with like a lot of wisdom yeah. that allows us to go. And then take our time in finding a new church home. We're, God's mm-hmm. not in a hurry with us. So really taking our time to research and visit and not be in quite a hurry to be in leadership again. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is hard for those of us who are the Marthas in the right. Who are right. always you know, doing. <laughs> oh, that's, I think that's such a good word. That's something Brian and I talk about a lot is like, you don't, don't have to rush back into leadership, but you're right. If you're sort of a born leader or you are yeah. gifted as a leader or you see all the things you want to solve, that's tricky right. not to, not to jump right in. Okay. I want to, I want to transition for just a minute, Natalie. You posted something recently that I thought was so great. You said a platform is a pricey privilege. Once upon a time, you had to be faithful in the small before given a mic. Now anyone with a cell phone can have a hot take and call it the gospel. Some of us still can't discern a human rant from God's holy word. Unpack that for us. Well, social media gave everyone a platform. I mean, even if you didn't have like a viable message or anything that even brought life or help, I mean, you could like have an entire account dedicated to catch up <laughs> and have a million followers. Right. And I remember growing up, like if you wanted to speak, you needed to have a well thought out thought. Yeah. To share it, whether it was in the church, even when you presented in school or in college, like there wasn't this spontaneous, just I feel something, so I'm going to say it. And I think this is why the Lord just constantly reminds us that there is just death and life in the power of the tongue. And I mm. think sometimes we as believers forget we are going to be held accountable for everything we say and now everything we write. And even when I write these black boxes, I'm like, man, I'm going to be held accountable Mm. for what I'm saying in these black boxes. Is it theologically correct? Mm. Um, Am I making sure that I'm honoring the Lord? Am I honoring leadership? And I think we've just given platforms to people who just have a little bit of like an ax to grind. And we're saying things about leadership, saying things about the church, saying things about about God that aren't even true. And people are coming into agreement with our hot takes. Yeah. That are in absolute contradiction to the word of God, which the word of God calls those things high things, Mm. right? And so that's where I have such a holy fear of what God has asked me to carry and why I hope the next generation understands that this isn't just uh, say what you want and there's no consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's Because there always are. Yeah, Yeah. that's good. And Natalie, uh, on Instagram, you've got quite the following as of late. Like people are listening. So you're speaking of what you know. I'm curious just... How has that been for you to have a bigger platform? And how hmm. do you practically think through post this, don't post this, knowing that, like you said, people uh, are reading? Yeah, well, this time last year, we had 3,500 followers. <laughs> so we're at almost 91. We're at almost 91,000 now. Wow. I, honest, I will be honest, it's terrifying to me. <laughs> um, 
we can ask the Lord, oh, I want to be like this. I want to, you know, change the world and go to the nations. But that's a heavy thing to ask for. Mm. And one way that I've really safeguarded my heart is I have a team of intercessors and mentors that read all of my posts. Mm. Pastors, um, people in ministry, out of ministry, and the ones that I have given permission, they are allowed to call me or text me at any time and say, I think that one might be confusing or it might be leading people down a path you don't want them to take. Can hmm. you take it down and reword it? Hmm. Um, and I just think that that's the accountability structure just in kingdom in general is having people who are 10 years, 20 years ahead of us or in ministry around us that can see things for what we can't. Um, yeah, that's so that for me, it's just having a ton of accountability. Absolutely love that. Natalie Runyon is an author. She's got a new book coming out July 4th called Raised to Stay. Love that. Love that release date. Raised to Stay, Persevering in Ministry When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away. Natalie, where can people pre-order your book and where can they find and follow you? They can pre-order on Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes & Noble, Christian Books. We are doing really well with pre-orders, but we need more. So if you feel so inclined, that's a huge help. And then once it releases on July 4th, we'll be able to find it pretty much everywhere. Yay, so fun. (laughs) Thanks so much for being here with us today, Natalie. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, guys. Mm -hmm. Hey, well, we will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.